This is the Wealth Standard Radio, your gold standard in everything financial. Morning, everybody. Welcome to the Wealth Standard Radio. This is episode 146, and I have a special guest. His name is Andrew Lenoy. He is a client really good friend of mine and uh, also an incredible businessman. And he's going to be giving you a preview of his 2016 Cashflow Wealth Summit presentations. You're not going to want to miss that. I'll bring him on in just a second. But on the topic of the Cashflow Wealth Summit, I'd like to speak to you in regards to the 2016 Summit. Now, I've mentioned it a little bit, giving you tidbits here and there. But this year is going to be awesome. Uh, first off, if you want to pre-register uh, or at least get on our email list, go to cashflowwealthsummit.com. And uh, you can get up-to-date notifications and so forth uh, to register, which should be coming out in the next uh, next few weeks. But we have an incredible lineup this year. We have uh, Robert and Kim Kiyosaki of the Rich Dad Organization, and their entire team of advisors are going to be presenting. So we are very uh, grateful to have them on board. And we also have about 17 industries represented, uh, and the, the topics are going to be all over the place. We do have quite a few that are returning uh, from last year, as far as presentations are concerned, but we have over 10 uh, new presenters, so you're not going to want to miss that. So again, go to cashflowwealthsummit.com, and there should be a pop-up when you get on there, and you just enter your email address in, and you will be the first to to be notified when we start to uh, send out information about this year's summit. Uh, another thing too is we still have 2015 tutorials on there, so if you have not had the chance to go onto uh, the website and uh, check out last year's presentations, you can still do that. So again, go to Cashflow Wealth Summit. Com. So last week, we offered up a, an incentive for the first person that called in, and they were going to get uh, two tickets as well as all accommodations paid for a Brian Tracy event that our good friend Kyle Wilson has put on. If you haven't listened to that podcast, it was a great interview with Kyle. We did have some audio difficulties, but uh, nonetheless, great interview, amazing guy. So this event is is going to be uh, is going to be out of this world, and uh, so we wanted to uh, to offer up that incentive to you, our loyal listeners. Uh, and uh, believe it or not, right on the first day, we had a winner. His name is Charlie Weiss. And uh, so Charlie is able to go to, to this event uh, on Paradigm Life. But if you are interested in going to this event, you can visit briantracy3dayweekend.com. And the three is a number three. So briantracy3dayweekend.com. Okay, so let's uh, let's go ahead and bring on Andrew. Andrew is is quite the individual. If... if uh, I don't know. There's not many people I know that are busier than I am, and Andrew is just all over the place. And he is really a go-getter and has done some incredible things with his investments as well as his business in the last few years. So it really was a pleasure to uh, to have him on. Uh, so last year, Andrew's presentation on the Cashflow Wealth Summit related to how to invest in real estate outside of, uh, of the state or the area that you live in. And it was an incredible presentation, actually one of the most popular ones. Uh, this year, uh, Andrew has actually uh, ventured and has another section of his business that is focused on a very niche part of the real estate industry. Now, Andrew is really well connected, and I think he's the epitome of really building relationships and leveraging those relationships. You're not going to want to miss this interview. So without further ado, here is the interview with Andrew Lenoy. So it's my pleasure to welcome a, a really good friend of mine and uh, also very successful in his, his own right, uh, investor and uh, an entrepreneur. Uh, it's uh, Andrew Lenoy. Andrew, how's it going, buddy? Hey, good, Patrick. How you doing? 
doing good. I'm doing good, man. I, I, every time I go to California, I, I envy that you guys have amazing weather the entire year. But you know, I'm looking outside my window right now, and you know, I can't. I definitely can't complain. But, but still, you're, uh, you're a California boy, even though you, you know, grew up on the, uh, on the East Coast. Uh, but you know, we met each other how long ago? Five, four or five years ago? Five, six years ago? I can't. I can't yeah, I, yeah, that was actually about six, probably closer to six years ago. Believe it or not. Wow, jeez. Well, I wish you know, I wish I ha- would have been able to keep up with what you've done over the last six years. Uh, but let's uh, let me talk about you know your uh, your background uh, a little bit because you're doing some amazing things now. But you you, you didn't you know your, your your professional career didn't start out in in real estate. So, so let's, let's get into maybe uh, what you're doing before real estate. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pretty interesting story. So I moved, moved from the East Coast to California about 20 years ago, was essentially working in the entertainment business and worked for, for a company called William Morris, which is a pretty big talent agency here in Beverly Hills. And if you've seen the show Entourage, that was our company and that was the, the model. I did that for, six, for 16 years. Right around the time when you and I met, which was after the subprime crash, um, and I think it was really through Robert Helms and the real estate guys, and that group is, is how we met. Um, the, the, the crash happened. My folks had, had retired and moved to Florida and actually lost a pretty significant part of their portfolio. In the downturn, you know, they, they had done, quote-unquote, everything right and saved and put their money into the market and all the things that, you know, unfortunately the majority of people do. So that was eye-opening, and I realized that as I'm as I'm working in corporate America and making you know making a six-figure salary and you know living the dream, that just the model's broken, and that that was a huge eye-opening thing for me. And then just reevaluated how I was investing, which led me to reading a million books and podcasts. Ultimately, um, you know, meeting with you and the real estate guys and that whole network of people, which is which is pretty amazing. Um, but also, I, mean, I remember actually, at that time, you know, it, it, I, it, you you had like two assistants when you were at William Morris. You said I can't remember how many emails you used to have to answer uh, a day, or how many calls you had to take a day. But it sounded like every time I talked with you, you were you were on the road or working or, or doing something. But but that was you know you were because you know it, it does require a certain personality to to be successful at William Morris. Uh, but that life, that lifestyle, though it, it it did seem like it was it was draining on you. Obviously, it was kind of a dream of sorts because you were hanging around with you know celebrities and uh, and celebrity musicians. Uh, but at the same time, you know it, it it seemed like it was draining on on your life. Yeah, it's such a good point, and I and I think that's I think it's similar with other with other gigs in corporate America. I mean, that job was just it was heavy volume intensive. We were working. 50, 60, 70 hours a week, and you're out covering shows and things like that. And it's just, it wasn't a you know 60 hour put your feet up on the desk job. It was really just suck the life force out of me. And typically, people in that industry, they would work there and retire at 70 or 75. And that was really their life outside of a family. So I, I just didn't, I, that's just not where I wanted to see my life headed. And I did it for long enough that I felt like. Um, was 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 had, a, had relative success in it, but it was definitely time time to make a change. So tell us, you know, maybe walk walk us through that transition because while you were there, you know, you started to you know shift your in, investments, and I'm assuming that William Morris, like other companies, had the 
you know, the, the typical deferred compensation plans or, or 401k plans. So you started to shift a lot of your, your focus as far as your, your wealth building uh, before, you, before you left William Morris. So maybe talk about how you started that transition. Absolutely. So I guess the biggest thing was just putting money into the 401k pretty blindly. A lot of folks in that, in that, just like most people would have a financial advisor that was telling them to put the money in the market. So once, once the crash happened, I saw what happened to my parents and I realized there, there had to be a better way of putting money into, um, in really investing into assets. Uh, I immediately stopped putting money into my 401k and through reading a million books and, you know, Rich Dad was one of them and, and so many others podcasts and really immersing myself into that, I realized that real estate seemed seemed pretty compelling as an asset class. So that's around the same time that you and I met. And after switching over to um, stop putting money into the four, my 401k, I realized that I needed to start acquiring assets. So a long story short is I, I put together about a five-year plan that's, that was, was pretty simple that I needed to have X amount of income coming in through passive income and real estate in order for me to exit out of that out of that um, out of that gig out of corporate America, and you and I, and, and I think you accomplished it a lot sooner than, than five years. I remember when you actually walked away. But you but but the first kind of the, the first plunge or the first step into into real estate was mainly single family single family homes, and and I know that that you know in a sense is is limiting because there's only so many homes you can uh, you can finance. So maybe you know walk through where your initial focus was. Uh, as far as the actual investment in real estate itself, uh, and then I know after that you got into you know helping other people acquire uh, acquire property. So maybe start with you know where where your initial focus was and where you transitioned to after. Yeah, absolutely. So initially living living here in Los Angeles and California in general, as well as some of the other major markets around the U.S., the, the prices, even though it was after the subprime and prices were were relatively good, it. I realized that I was looking for cash flow that was all part of my plan. It wasn't projecting, it wasn't speculating on a market or flips or anything like that. So immediately you, you tend to look in your backyard and what, what are the deals like and, and very quickly I realized that Los Angeles was just overpriced. I couldn't find anything that cash flowed. I was looking at single family, I was looking at smaller apartment buildings and so that led me to looking into other markets and Dallas, Texas was one of the first markets that I got into. And especially at that time, this must have been about five years, six years ago, something like that. Um, price points were very attractive, and the price to rent ratios were good. Um, and so it was basically a, a leap of faith to to convince myself that you know I can I can live in I can live in Los Angeles and I can invest outside of the state if the market makes sense. And and that was really one of the things that the the real estate guys were were so great at teaching is you know really invest where the numbers make sense and just you know li- live in California because it's a great place to to live. But you know it doesn't mean you have to invest in your backyard. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing is most you know, most individuals you know they. There's an emotion attached to some, something that's real, and when you have a piece of real estate, you know it, it's re, it's real. That's why it's called real estate. And you look at you know the, the the being adamant about you know having to touch and feel and see it is is interesting because people are driven more by that than by the actual numbers and and metrics. And you yeah, know there's absolutely. a lot here you know that is that I've seen in uh, in a lot of real estate investors that I've worked with over the over the years I mean which is you know number probably in the hundreds maybe thousands 
And it really comes down to, you know, what, what the objective of the investment is, what are you trying to accomplish? And that should be the driving force as opposed to, you know, the, 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 the tangibles, right? Which are, you know, the, the neighborhood that it's in. I mean, those are all important, but if the numbers don't make sense in your backyard, then there, there should be, you know, no reason to pursue real estate in that area. And I think people often make that, uh, make that mistake. So, and I know last year, you know, one thing I failed to mention in uh, when I was introducing you is that you spoke last year at the Cashflow Wealth Summit, uh, and you specifically talked about uh, investing outside of you know where you where you live, uh, which is a very important thing to get comfortable with because right now, and we'll get in you know transition into what you're doing, but right now you look at really the the areas of the country uh, that have margins where it's been it makes sense to actually buy a property there. They are they are falling off one by one. Uh, you know, Salt Lake is an example. Um, even parts of Texas are are becoming very. It's very difficult to find good yield, a good rate, or a good rate of return. Uh, and so those you know those markets are slowly falling off. But if you don't understand those metrics, then you're gonna invest in something and put you know put your money uh, at risk. And you know, ultimately, the the reward may not be worth uh, worth that risk. But California, that's one of those things where there really is no, there is no cash flow play. Just because you know, although you know, after the crash, there was a decline in prices. As you said, it still uh, it did not really make sense from from a rental income standpoint. So so maybe talk about the, some of the first areas that you were investing investing in, uh, and then maybe you know, transition into Atlanta. What you started to do there. Uh, and then we can start getting into what you're going to be uh, we're going to be speaking about on the summit this year, but also uh, the the next kind of real estate industry that you think there's a ton of opportunity in. Yeah, it's such a good point on the you know you can live in Northern California, Southern California, D.C., New York, and uh, you know Salt Lake's coming up. Denver's a hot market, but if you're investing for cash flow and then you're in a market that doesn't make sense, then you have to go to another market. So Dallas was the first that I got into, strong cash flow, reasonable prices. Um, Memphis was another market that I invested in, not great appreciation, but historically, but another strong cash flow market. Uh, and, and all single families, so you know, not huge price points, 75 to 150, $200,000 price points. Through an event I went to, I met uh, a couple of guys who were, who were actually in Los Angeles and at the same time, the three of us had started investing in Atlanta, Georgia, um, independently of each other, and talked for a while and decided to put a partnership together. They actually moved out to Atlanta to run the day-to-day operations and the you know the renovations and all that and all that stuff. And we we did a, a bunch of a bunch of buying in Atlanta for a few years, found some really good deals, a bunch of buy and hold. We did some flips. Um, so that was really the majority of what my focus was all that time. Um, all of this was really while I was still at, at, at William Morris, and um, really the focus was I, I found the model. I found I was looking for cash flow. If it fit my box, amazing. If it didn't, it was on to the next deal. I wasn't, you know, again back to the speculation, and it wasn't about buying something for a hundred and hoping it got to two hundred thousand dollars. It was all about what does this. What does this generate right now? Yep. And that was all part, part part of my model and my philosophy. And that's the thing is, you know, there's only, you know, I think one of the principles that you know we we love to to teach is is control. And you know, asset prices, it's, it's difficult to control. Uh, and and for in most cases, there are elements of of it that you can't control. Uh, but really, getting into you know uh, an investment where you can determine the income. 
or you can determine the cash flow, uh, that that essentially is something that you don't you know ultimately absolutely control, but it, you definitely have more control over than the asset price itself because you can buy you know buy a property at one hundred thousand dollars and it you know it cash flows right in where you you think uh, it's worth the money you're putting into it, uh, but you know the the asset price itself could go down. It can go down to, to 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 eighty, to seventy, to sixty. But if the cash flow is very similar, that's what you bought it for in the first place. And then ultimately, when it comes back, as far as value is is concerned, and maybe that's the point you sell it. But at the same time, you know the 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 idea in the end for really most individuals, if you think about it, is to invest for a future income. But most, I think, you know, I'm not sure what it is that. Uh, that gets people to, to think that real estate investment is about you know flipping or the appreciation or, or capital gains, but that in and of itself is extremely risky because there's a lot of people that got burned during the during the downturn. But really, in the end, the most successful you know investors I think are the ones that are uh, getting into investment that produces income and produces cash flow. Um, so maybe transition into you know what. What got you? I mean, what was that? That because I mean, being at William Morris, you said that you were there for for 16, 16 years. You, you, yes. what, what, what was that kind of final hurdle? Like, what what was it that said, okay, I'm I'm done? Like, what tell, you know, walk us through walk us through that uh, that shift. Yeah, it's funny. It's you know, so I put this plan together, and the plan was essentially I, I'm looking for cash flowing investments. We're, we're we're buying and holding. We got into a little bit of flips, but not 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 that many. It was really about all about buy and hold and cash flow. So the plan was was very simple that I was looking to, to achieve a certain amount of income um, to cover my expenses and pay and pay the bills, transition me out to really open up all of my time to work on this full time. As most you know, most people who are out working full time, 40, 40 hours, whatever whatever that amount is for those folks. It's hard to like, especially if you have a family and everything else. It's really hard to focus on much else other than your family and your your, your job. So I that was the goal. Is I needed to open up my time, and um, I got there a little earlier than expected. But it was it was honestly it was just little base hits. They, it wasn't one deal that moved the needle. It was just literally, does this deal work? Hey, great! It's another you know it's another asset in the portfolio that's cash flowing. Um, single family, obviously, when you're leveraging it and you're in that price point of you know seventy-five to two hundred thousand dollars, it's it's not a massive amount of money you're seeing every month. But the goal is that if the numbers work and the cash on cash is in the range that you're looking for, then it's just simply a numbers game. How many of those do you need to get to your number? And you know, I, I found out some pretty creative ways of doing it, where bringing in friends and partners who could. You know, could potentially go get the go get the loan, and we'd all put in money, and you know, end up, end, end up being a win for everyone. So that was that was one way I could kind of scale that business. Because um, obviously, when you're getting, you know, you need a certain amount of money, and you, you do the math, and sometimes it takes like 100 properties to get to that number, or 50 properties, depending on depending on the areas. So and depending on the number, definitely have to get creative. Yeah, and depending on the number too. But I think you hit on a good. A good point, and I don't think most people most people uh, realize or recognize or put a lot of value on it. But you know, I think we've you know, as as people in, the, in our society, we've been conditioned uh, to receive you know a paycheck or receive income because we do have these you know residual type of expenses, right? We have 
phone bills and we have food and we have travel and we have gas and car payments and mortgage payments for our primary house for our, you know, whether it's rent or, or, or a home payment. I mean, we have these ongoing monthly type of expenses. And so you look at like flipping a home where you get a lump sum, right? That lump sum is not going to come again until you, know, you flip another or the income is not going to come again until you flip another house. So really looking at, you know, the idea behind uh, income and cash flow, I mean, other than a business that you own and run uh, or, or maybe own and not run, th- there's nothing else out there that I, that I really know of that could produce that type of consistent income, which will allow you, as you said, <clears throat> time to be able to go and explore things that uh, are not a job, explore things that are you know, a, a part of what interests you. And I think that's really what keeps people confined to their, you know, to their employment or to their job is they don't have anything to replace, replace that income. And that fear uh, or that degree of uncertainty, especially if you do have a family, is very difficult to, uh, to swallow. So, I mean, you're obviously the path that you took is, is very similar to others that have gone down, down that road. Uh, but now what it's allowed you to do is, is think differently. You have more time to be productive with as opposed to working for somebody else. So you went down the path of, you know, single family and, and partnering and raising capital. But but then, you know, I think this was a couple years ago, you got into a, a, a new industry. Now, it's a real estate industry, but it's kind of a niche part of the industry. And as I said, I, I've seen a lot of margins and, 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 uh, and returns, cash on cash returns, just because the prices of homes are being bid up, I've seen you know a, a lot of uh, uh, of cities fall off the radar as far as it being even worth looking into. Uh, but you found a niche industry that you know you're you're convinced is the next next big thing, especially you know in our current market. So maybe talk about how you discovered this, you know what the industry is first. Tell us what that is, but then how you discovered it, and then what you're doing right now. Absolutely. So even just to back up a little bit, as as I transitioned out of the out of William Morris and the corporate gig, there was still an opportunity to buy single families, and we did that for a while. But as each each what I like to tell people is each day that we get further um, past the subprime crash, each day that there's space between that, there's there's someone waking up who's wants to be a flipper. There's more money chasing, less inventory. Um, the market is, you know, where we are in the market certainly closer to the top than it is the bottom. No, no one has a crystal ball, but I would certainly argue that it's pretty, pretty darn close, if not the top right now. Um, and so the deals get hard to, fi- hard to find. The margins get less and less, so we started looking at multifamily. Um, same thing, same thing there. A lot of people chasing less inventory. Um, a friend of mine, Tony Ferris, who who I met maybe about three years ago, had also been buying some single family. He actually stumbled into into mobile home parks and manufactured housing, and we had talked for probably a couple of years um, about the deal and the model and the things he's he'd been investing in. And um, it wasn't until about it was actually about just about a year this time that we sat down and started to look at everything and it was literally running through performance and, and me saying, are these numbers real? And he's like, yeah, these are, these are parks that I bought a couple of years ago. Yeah, they're real. And, um, you know, you hear there's certainly a, a misnomer about, you know, mobile homes and mobile home parks, but the, the reality is it's a really interesting asset class. There's, there's a lot of ways to, 
to, to talk about it, but essentially it's a, it's a land bank. It's a really strong cash-flowing land bank where ultimately, in our model, you own the dirt and the land and the infrastructure, the tenants and, and the residents own the homes, and so it's a, lot, a lower liability, lower expenses, and again, a high cash-flowing, uh, really just strong cash-flowing model. So Tony and I sat down about a year ago and we put together um, a partnership after we went through everything and basically just, you know, things really shifted and kind of took off from there. And then looking at, you know, because there is a stigma. You, you mentioned it. Uh, and I don't know a lot of the data, Andrew, but the, I mean, maybe talk about just, you know, how many, I don't even know if you know this, but like what is, what is the mobile hark uh, industry? Like how, how big is it? How many units are there? How many people are living uh, in, in mobile home parks? Because, you know, where, where Cynthia, you know, uh, Cynthia's from Mexico, but as you go into like the southern parts of, of Arizona, uh, we drive we drive that every year as we go down to, to see her family. But in those areas, I mean, there's like park upon park upon park, and there are a lot of people that are, that are living there. And I think you look at, you know, what our society um, is right now, it, there's a large part of our society that's unskilled unskilled labor. And you look at how quickly, you know, we're, we're transitioning and evolving as a, uh, as a, as a, as a people or society, right? There, there are those that don't have those skilled labor. They're continually paid the same amount. And because of inflation, right, in essence, are being paid a less amount than they were paid before. And you're going to start to see, you know, more jobs go away just because they're being replaced by robots, being replaced by uh, technology uh, overseas and so forth. So you really look at, you know, the trend to, to get into housing and you know it's it's becoming essentially a, a great place for a person to uh, to be able to pay pay for pay for housing, right? As opposed to you know trying to squeeze out a, a mortgage payment or squeeze out a rent payment on a home or a, or, a, or a condo. So maybe talk. Can you talk about the industry if you know some of the statistics about the mobile home uh, or mobile part or mobile home uh, or manufactured home uh, industry? Just how many people are there and what are some of the statistics? Do you, do you know those offhand? Yeah, absolutely. So it's it, by the way, there are a lot of a lot of really good nuggets in what you just said. I mean, the 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 the, the, you know, the, the, the biggest thing about the asset class is it's affordable housing. So we're not buying in California. We're buying in the Midwest, where we where we get really good prices. Um, these folks are paying two hundred and fifty to three hundred fifty dollars a month for lot rents. In the U.S., the, the latest stats that we saw were about 50% of wage earners make make $30,000 a year or less. So if you simply do the math, those folks can't afford to buy a house most of the time. They can't afford to live or rent a house. Maybe it's an apartment building. A lot of people don't want shared walls. So this is almost the, the last American dream of home ownership where you own a, a manufactured, uh, you know, manufactured house or a mobile home. Um, it's not a trailer. It's on lock level and tie. It's you know three thousand or thirty five hundred dollars to move these things. So they get their own little yard. Um, but again, back to what you you were saying, there's um, I, I would give a pretty strong ar argument that the lower class is increasing overall. That salaries aren't keeping up. You can you can certainly say, hey, inflation is an all time low at two percent or whatever the heck it is, but. You know, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't include food and energy, and, and just salaries aren't keeping up with that. My nope. my my dad's father, you know, our grandparents could raise a family and have one salary and put kids through school and buy a house in the American dream. That's that's shifted so dramatically now. Now, if you're in the the lower class or even the the, the lower middle class, 
it's, it's three salaries, salaries or it's four salaries, salaries or the mom and dad's working two jobs, whatever, and they still can't keep up. So yep. obviously a whole different conversation, but a lot of stuff's broken. So, But we, we live in that, you know, again, with lot rents being at 250 to $350 a month, we live in that affordable housing sector, and there's a great demand for it. In terms of manufactured housing, there's, there's only about 50,000 parts throughout the U.S., they're not really making any more of them. Part of that's zoning and a number of things. And also a lot of cities don't want these parks coming in. So the ones that were built in the 50s and 60s, that's when the majority of these parks were built, uh, they're still up and running. And again, it's, it's, it's a dirt place and the dirt never really changes. There's obviously infrastructure, you know, maintenance and things you have to do, but there's, there's you look at just, honestly, just supply and demand 101, you have an asset class which has a huge demand, um, huge demand, and you have really none of them being built anymore, so it's really classic supply and demand. No, it, and, and that's, you hit the nail on the head, and that's really, that's really where investors should always be paying attention. Now, obviously, there's metrics. You know, if you if you have specific financial goals, I mean, you're going to want to invest within you know this rate of return or, or this price point based on the capital that you have to invest. I mean, you you have to have those kind of fundamentals. But in the end, all those are based on this supply and demand conversation. I mean, I, yesterday, you know, we we have a, a, a lot of people that work remote, and so we have them coming into town, and you know, they they have to. Uh, you know, get hotel rooms and, and find. So we, we were looking at, you know, maybe doing a, a, some corporate corporate housing, like getting a little uh, a little unit or condo. And it's inc- insane just how expensive they become in, in downtown uh, Salt Lake. I mean, there's I think I heard like thousands of units have gone up just in like the Salt Lake area, just because the demand is from, you know, the, the millennial generation, those that are kind of exiting school and trying to find a, a way to kind of, you know, get into the corporate world, get into their profession. I mean, it's insane. They're, they're going up everywhere. But what it's done is it's bid up the price uh, of, of apartments. But because of how much is going up, uh, the rents have actually started to come down just because there's more choices out there. So, I mean, this place, it was like $200,000 $200, and it was renting for $1,200. I was, and I, I couldn't believe it because I remembered a couple years ago where, you know, some people were paying, you know, $1,300, dollars $1,500 a month. But really, again, going, going to your point is, you know, the supply and demand associated with uh, that, you know, half of our, of our population, I mean, half. Right, their wages are less now. It might be thirty thousand, uh, but I've I've had you know we, we've written some articles and done reports that said that the inc- the average individual's wage has actually is actually the same uh, or less than what it was in nineteen seventy if you adjust for inflation. But in our day and age, I mean, there's so much more to buy. There's so much more to do. So that's why the lifestyle of individuals is really getting squeezed. Uh, and in the end, one of their basic needs is what? I mean, they have food, of course. Uh, but you also have, um, you know, you also have housing and having a roof and shelter, or, or, you know, roof over their head. So that's the thing is with with mobile home markets, there's there's a stigma, there's you know this this feeling out there. Uh, but at the same time, there is an increasing uh, demand for it. Uh, so I know we don't have a ton of time, but this is a topic that you're going to be talking about on the summit. Uh, and this is, I mean, I know I mentioned to you guys that uh, that the summit. Uh, we're, we're going to open up registration in the next uh, next couple of weeks, but, but you can go to cashflowwellsummit.com 
to you can still get access to some of last year's speakers. That's going to go down soon. Uh, but you can go on in there and even listen to Andrew. Andrew's presentation is up on there. Uh, but you can also uh, get uh, put your email address in and get notification as to uh, what, uh, what when we're going to be uh, launching the registration. So definitely go to cashflowwellsummit.com. Uh, and then, like I said, Andrew's going to be speaking on, on there. Uh, but Andrew, I, I know you had said that you, you have some, you know, some information and uh, you, you've written a book and you have some other resources as well. Uh, that if people want to learn about, you know, this kind of, uh, this, in, I don't even what you call it, in, uh, the niche or uh, sector of the, of the real estate industry, I don't even what you call it. But if they want to learn more about it. What do you think, what, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So this was such a compelling asset class when we when we started to really peel back the layers on this that we that we decided to build out an education company on that. That company is called Mobile Home Investors Academy. Uh, the URL on that is mobilehomeinvestors.com. We also just just released our first book, which came out uh, last week. And um, that's called The Definitive Guide to Investing in Mobile Home Parks. And we actually have that available for free. You can get that on the site. Or you can text MHP Book, short for Mobile Home Park Book, MHP Book to 33444. And we'll send you a copy of that for free. And it's, uh, so far, it's had a great, uh, great response. And it's really a, just, if you're not familiar with the asset class, it gives you a great kind of step-by-step on on uh, analyzing and how to invest. Well, dude, that, and that's a, honestly, it's a great direction you've taken because we've, you know, that's a, that's the reason why Paradigm has so much education online is just because it's a there's an asset class that is so powerful, right? And there's so many benefits to it, but yet it has a stigma, and it, really, it's education and having a differing opinion than the majority that's really going to help you see really what is true and what's not. So, you know, hats off to you. I mean, I, I've already looked at your, looked at the site, uh, but you know, that, that is awesome, dude. That's an awesome direction because there is a stigma out there. I mean, there's a stigma and, and you know, a person investing in that type of play, is gonna be like, eh, you know, the, the skepticism definitely is a flag. So the education up front will hopefully uh, mitigate that skepticism and hope and help individuals get into something that could totally help their their overall their overall finances. Um, so, can you give out those? Maybe give out your your URL one more time, and we'll put it in the in the show notes as well as as well as the uh, the code. Yeah, absolutely. So the URL is mobilehomeinvestors.com, and you can you can get the ebook uh, on the on the on the homepage, and you can text MHP book to three three four four four. And you know, one thing just further to that, Patrick, it's like, you know, I've been, I've been, I've been doing this now and investing for whatever amount of time, six years or something like that. You can, you got to kind of keep your eye on the market and where things are going. And I've always been a cash flow investor, so my asset has changed, but my philosophy has still stayed pretty much the same. So, you know, for people who are looking at the market and they're saying, oh my goodness, it's so hard to find single family. It's, so, it's like you said, so, it's so hard to find yield. It doesn't mean there, are, there aren't good deals out there. You may have to look a little harder. You may have to just kind of shift left or shift right to find the things. I mean, there is, there is opportunity in any market cycle. You just have to kind of get your head wrapped around it. Yeah. And that's, you know, and Gene Guarino is going to be speaking on the summit and it's, you know, he, he found a niche in, you know, assisted living. So it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it, it's the, the strategy may no longer have yield, but it doesn't mean that the there aren't opportunities. Like you said, you just have to be be creative, and uh, and and look elsewhere. 
And even, you know, go, going back into, you know, 2007, 2008, 2009, I mean, there were, there were great opportunities at that, at that time, uh, even though the market was in free fall. So looking now and looking, you know, those that are saving or trying to, you know, diversify or trying to build cash flow, this, is, this could be an awesome, an awesome sector. All right, dude, I'm going to throw an off-the-wall question at you to, to end. So sure. when you were at William Morris, who is your, who is your favorite the favorite uh, you know, celebrity or person that you uh, that you represented, just out of curiosity. Oh, boy. Uh, that's a good question. Funny, uh, Michael McDonald from you know was in the one of the nicest guys in the world. The guys in Blues Traveler were great. Mm. Uh, Joe Bonamassa, who I worked with, a blues rock guitar guitar player, worked with for almost ten years, was just couldn't have been a nicer person. Uh, Dennis DeYoung, who was in the, the lead singer of Sticks. There, there were some there were some really good good folks that I worked with, and uh, others not so much. <laughs> That's what I was gonna ask. I was like, I don't want to get you in trouble, so I will ask you who the, who's the worst person to. Uh, uh, yeah, the to... worst person I worked with was. Just kidding. I know. I was gonna say, don't, dude. I could, I could, I could, uh, in post edit, I could delete that. But no. But anyway, Andrew, it's dude. It's awesome to know you. I mean, you're you're an inspiration to me because you know of where you've come from and what you've done. Um, you know, it is. It, it, you know, the, the real estate industry or being an entrepreneur. I mean, there's there's pros and there's and, but there's also cons and there's risks associated with it. So you know, hats off to you for the success that you've had, and uh, and I guarantee people will definitely get a ton out of. Uh, going to your site, reading some of that material, even if they don't invest with you, just knowing that that sector exists and having that increase of knowledge is gonna is gonna help. Uh, but also, uh, you know, I definitely encourage those that uh, will be attending the Cashflow Wealth Summit to, uh, to to sign up for Andrew's uh, presentation. Don't know when his slot's gonna be yet, but uh, that'll be that'll be known in the next few weeks. So again, for the summit, you can visit uh, www.cashflowwealthsummit.com. All right, everyone, that's uh, that's it for uh, for today. Have a good one. Yeah, thanks, man. And, and I appreciate, you know, being such a great influencer and putting education out there. It's, it's easily the, it was the biggest thing that changed my life is really just getting around, you know, you and other people who uh, just think a little differently. So really appreciate all, all you've done. And thanks for having me on. Okay. Thanks, Andrew. So as you can tell, Andrew definitely has his head screwed on straight. And it really is a pleasure to have him present again. And he, he really, if you go onto his, the website that he had mentioned, again, it's uh, mobilehomeinvestors.com. He let me have access to that thing, and it, it's just stock full of information. So definitely get on there, register. And if you do have really any inclination toward real estate investing, even if you don't have interest in necessarily the manufacturer of the mobile home strategy, still having that information, having that education, I'm sure will uh, will do you well. So again, the free ebook that he talked about uh, is accessible through this website, mobilehomeinvestors.com. And uh, you could also uh, text to get access to uh, to the book, and the uh, you have to text MHP, so MHP book, and you text that to three three four four four. Again, MHP book, and you text that uh, that that. Uh, you know, MHP book to three three four four four. So the ebook's also accessible again on the on the website. You can get it by text as well. And I'm sure that Andrew's going to have that plus a lot of other resources when he presents on the Cashflow Wealth Summit. Thanks everybody for listening today. We will uh, we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard in everything financial.